Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Hockey Show Podcast. I am Nick. And I am friend of Nick, John Evan. Busy week to get to hockey conversation-wise, so uh, let's get into it. Uh, I mean, God, we'll talk about the reverse retros later on in the show. I want to get to that. Uh, I want to I want to talk about Bill Guerin. Uh, I know you want to talk about the Canucks and some rookies. Uh, we got a hat tip a player as well, but but let's just dive into it. Legit, before we were we were prepping for the day, I thought we had a show pr- prepared, and then the Athletic dropped the story. Uh, Dominic Hashik is pissed at the NHL and is calling for them to ban Russian players over the war in Ukraine. Uh, I've heard him say this for a while now. He's been drumming this. He's been pounding on this drum for a while. Pretty much the sum of it is Hashik uh, not happy with those first two games that were played uh, overseas in Prague uh, because there were Russian players that were playing in those games, and, and pretty much Hashik thinks that the NHL should uh, prevent Russian players from playing, take away their livelihoods, uh, and punish them over the decisions of one Vladimir Putin. Uh, clearly, you can kind of get an idea of where I stand on this, but but yeah, Hashik, it is, it is worth noting uh, in the article that Hashik is running politics now. In the Czech Republic, so he's running for a that political stood office. That's to me as well. Yeah, which seems, you know, when you start taking a stance like this and you're running for politics, uh, there's a little bit of that fishy smell to it. Where it is this more a political stance? Is this more to get votes? Uh, but again, either way, he just thinks the NHL has done a piss poor job. Uh, he said he doesn't want to do business with the NHL as long as Bettman and Daly are involved, and he doesn't see them leaving soon. So shame on the NHL. But uh, I want to get your thoughts, Sean. Uh, did you read the story? I, I did read the story, and, and I was trying to compare it to the little bit that I know about uh, Eastern Europe and hockey there in general. Uh, what, what two things that stood out? Number one, thank you, The Athletic, for putting this out, and thank you, Dominic Hashik, uh, putting this out before our part podcast rather than after. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes it makes our job a little easier, and I and I feel like that appreciation should be you know vocalized there. Uh, so so as you kind of said, you know, Dominic Hashik is a you know a politician who may have his eye on the presidency of uh, Czech Czechia. Chechia? I don't I don't know. I I know we're supposed to call it something different than the Czech Republic now. If I'm honest, I haven't learned how to pronounce it. Uh but Chechia, uh, and he's uh made a lot of statements leading up to uh the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh he had a lot to say about Russian players being allowed to play in Europe. Uh I know when Mike Greer, the GM of the Sharks, basically came out and said, Look, all of us go or none of us go. So you decide how you want this to play out, but that's what we're doing. And the NHL kind of supported them on that too. Of I want to understand where he's coming from. I really do. And I and I won't pretend to know more about. Uh, you know, the Russian impact on Europe than Dominic Hasek does. What really came to mind to me was uh, a story I heard once. I want to say this was uh, Archer's Urbe. Do you remember Archer's Urbe? 
I do not. Oh well, yeah, I, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. He he's a he was a goalie from Latvia, and there was a World Championships. Uh, he used to play for you know the Soviet teams uh, before the breakup of the whole thing. Uh, and after, you know, once he had a little bit more freedom to say it, he says, he told people constantly, I'm not Russian, I'm Latvian, I play for Latvia. And uh, and that wasn't a team that was particularly, you know, well known for being super successful. Uh, but at a world championship, uh, Archer Zerbe just stoned the Russian team, just completely shut them out for it. And not like a, you know, 20 save performance. This was like a 50 60 save performance that he had in the world championships and they interviewed him afterwards and he just had tears in his eyes about it saying you know 10 years ago soviet tanks were coming into my town and everything that was happening there and now i'm i get a chance to be here to beat you know the russian team so to try to understand where Haship's coming from with this, I think we just have to understand what historically things have been like for a lot of players like him growing up over there. Uh, at the same time, I'm not entirely sure what's going to be accomplished by keeping Russian NHLers out of the NHL. Yeah, because he brings up like it's it's a revenue source for them. It's it's it it helps feed the Russian war mas- machine. Uh, these players playing gives them money. I mean, I guess in the sense of you know players have family back home and they're sending money back home to them, and it's and the rubles are going back into the country. I guess in that sense, but I don't when 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 Artemi Panarin takes the ice at Madison Square Garden. You know, and he's going to be an example I use specifically as well because of the fact that he famous like Hashik is calling to punish Russian players and even those who have publicly, Panarin, spoken out against the current regime that is doing this in Putin to the point where the guy had to take a leave of absence away from the Rangers because his family was being threatened back home. Like... It's so much like it is beyond sports. There is a difference. I get that what's happening there is an atrocity and it is an invasion and it is horrible and it needs to come to an end. But like you said, I don't know how the idea of banning Russian players in the NHL is going to bring about some type of massive change. The way that change comes, like it needs to come from the actual political powers that be. It needs to come from foreign governments. Like I... Dominic Hasek, to me, this this call is also like I and and you're right. Understand it from his point of view, and I, and I know at the age of three is when the Soviet Union invaded and, and took over and and became you know the Czech Republic, and it's only been a decade or so since they got their rights back. So I get that his, he has a better understanding of Russia than I do. But I also don't understand how taking away the livelihood of certain people's careers due to Putin is the way to go about it and the way to stick it to Russia and all of that. I, 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 and especially I, some of these guys we know cannot speak up as well. Like, listen, I get it. He called out Alex Ovechkin and Ovechkin needed to be called out because Ovechkin is buddies with Putin and it is a bad look and it does suck and it is annoying. And that is something to remember as the guy chases Gretzky's goal scoring record. It is a bit of a, oh yeah, but you are somebody that rubs elbows with Vladimir Putin. 
But then meanwhile, on the other end of things, we know what happens if a player speaks up against the current administration. They're here in the States trying to live their life and make money for their family, but back home their family's being threatened. Yeah, and it's... I, I think what the what Hoshik's main point is with a lot of this is that it feeds into the Russian propaganda machine. You know, it's saying, oh, Alexander Ovechkin is going to catch, you know, Wayne Gretzky's goal scoring record. Look how great these Russians are. Look at, you know, Andre Vasilevsky and how many people say he's the greatest goaltender in the league and things among those lines. And I think that's, yeah, I don't know that. Hashik is so concerned about NHL players' livelihoods no. so much as they kind of become collateral damage at that point. Uh, but at the, I, I would almost think that having a bunch of you know high-profile players coming over to see what things are like in North America is probably one of the best ways to defeat that kind of propaganda wheel to kind of say, oh, like all these people don't you know constantly hate us. All these people don't talk about you know, how they need to change our way of lives and things like that. That's what I would think. I could be completely wrong with it, but... Yeah, and I do want to say as well, when I, when I say, like, take away their livelihoods, I understand that the war is taking away a lot more livelihoods and a lot more than stopping somebody from playing sports, but it's just that idea of I don't see the correlation between stopping an NHL player from playing a game and how it matches up to stopping Russia from doing what they're doing and committing those war crimes. Like it's, but again, you're right. I can see where he's coming from. I understand his standpoint. I understand wanting all forms of punishment on Russia, but I think the, but again, I think the way that that comes is like what we've seen in like the world juniors and other sports where they've banned the Russian team from partaking or they have to come as an unrepresented so they don't get to represent russia if they go to the event yeah and and uh another thing to keep in mind for again little bit i know about russia and russian hockey uh is that oh the way things used to work in the soviet union is you had members of the military that all they did was play hockey that's how much it fed into Soviet propaganda or Russian propaganda, that there was an entire team who's had officer ranks in the army and 11 out of 12 months of the year, that's all they did was train to play hockey and compete in international competitions so they could go back and say, look how great, you know, Russian athletes are. So when you heard about stuff like Kirill Kaprizov, uh, coming, trying to come back over for the season and uh, really struggling to get out of Russia because of some sort of tie-in with uh, military service. Or the Flyers goalie prospect, Ivan F uh, Fedotov, that, uh, went to, that was in trial or on trial in Russia for using, you know, documents to avoid the draft or whatever it may be. There's a lot of Russian hockey players that are probably a little fed up with the regime right now. And I feel like we should really be trying to embrace them and, you know, show, you know, welcome them, show them this different way of life rather than saying, well, Putin might be able to use this for propaganda, so we shouldn't have you here. Yeah, there's... There are, again, I think there are other ways to go about this. I, I just, I love Dominic Hasek, 
best of luck, you know, in his in his political career. Hopefully he does become the president. The yeah, guy shut and, out and, Russia to win them, you know, the Czech uh gold medal, you know. So Yeah. And and you you did it's, a it's to the gold crown. You <laughs> You you did a good job calling attention to, you know, him being involved in political office when it came to these comments. So maybe a lot of this needs to be taken with a grain of salt. But the uh, the Dominic Hasek uh, presidential platform of uh, Russian players need to not be allowed in the NHL. I'm out. Gary Bettman and Bill Daly must resign from the NHL. OK, I'm back in. I'm back in. You brought me back. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people that that would uh, argue that should happen. That's that's not happening anytime soon. So yeah, but listen, we're not political experts. We're not bringing an end to the war anytime soon. But hey, I, I don't think. <laughs> listen, if that's what you're up to on the weekends, man, then uh, I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing that CNN breaking news report at some point. Um, all right, from let, let's move on from war conflict to celebrating uh, an American hero. Uh, and we have to give a hat tip to Golden Knights forward Phil Kessel. By the time you are listening to this, uh, he's probably now past it, uh, but he tied the longest Ironman streak in NHL history, played in his 989th consecutive game Monday. Uh, as Vegas hosted the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's fitting that it happened to be the Maple Leafs as well, since Kessel played for them. Uh, his consecutive game streak began back October 31st, Halloween of 2009, 14 seasons now. Uh, as I mentioned, member of the Maple Leafs, the Penguins, the Coyotes, and Golden Knights. So uh, the record was set by now-retired defenseman Keith Yandel, uh, who surpassed uh, Doug Jarvis, who we talked a lot about last year. Uh, when he skated in his 964th game back in January. So uh, Phil Kessel, 35, uh, now the Ironman streak record holder. How are you feeling? I'm, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what ends up happening to him with this now. Is, is he going to push it all the way to 1,000? Or does he do something like get it to 999 and just say, you know, I could use a night off? Uh, it, there's no, no, that would be the absolute, <laughs> that would be the worst. I feel like you can't quit. If you're at 999, you can't be like, you know what? The sore ankle tonight is going to keep me out of a thousand straight games. <laughs> at that point, you gotta, <laughs> at that point, you got a Cal Ripken Jr. at right. No matter what your ailment is, take whatever medication you can go out there, stay, get on the ice for a second and then go to the locker room. Yeah. Now the. Streak itself is a little controversial, and I'll be curious to your opinion about this. Do you no. <laughs> remember last year in a game against the Red Wings, uh, as a member of the Coyotes, uh, Phil Kessel showed up, shows up for the game, leaves after his first shift, uh, fist bumps his teammates a little bit, and flies home. Yeah, yeah well, it for. A consecutive, you know, streak we're talking about playing the entire game. Does that not count? No, 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 no. This is this is like this argument to me is similar to that with people in baseball. Like when a pitcher is pitching a no hitter or a perfect game and somebody bunts their way on and they're like, no, that's not allowed. 
it totally is allowed. It's within the realm of the rules. That was a base hit. You can bunch your way on if you want to. It's up to everybody else to stop it from happening. Uh, and th that's exactly how I see that in the sense of he suited up. He played the game. It's no different than if he started the game and did get hurt and had to leave the game. He still played the game. He was active for the game. He, he got out there. So even though it's only one shift and he went home, uh, to, I think, I think his, he was having a, they were having a kid, right? That's why. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. his defense, he was leaving to yeah. be present for the birth of his child. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah. You know, it wasn't just because he wanted a night off. <laughs> he didn't want to go eat hot dogs. Yeah. It was, it was just as good a reason as any to miss a game, I would say. Uh, yeah. but I just, I know that comes up a little bit when people are talking about this streak into which I would kind of, I, I'm kind of where you are to say, well, you know, maybe we could split hairs for it, but it's a super impressive achievement regardless yeah. of how you feel about that aspect of it. Uh, and then the other thing to point out for it is that with Keith Yandel, uh, I know that that became a little bit of an issue later in his career, because if you're in a situation where someone's, you know, about to set the Ironman streak or has a super long Ironman streak, how do you healthy scratch them? Uh, yeah, and the Yandel one I remember being really interesting, specifically because, I mean, players weren't that good. So yeah. it was kind of uh, shocking that all of a sudden a team that wasn't going to make the playoffs was like, we're ending the Ironman streak for a guy that doesn't make our lineup any better. Like, we're going to oh, scratch somebody that actually can help us win, and we think we're going to win, but we're going to scratch him for somebody that makes us worse, even though we think it's going to make it like that's again, why the flyers, despite the nice start that they've had uh, with Tortorella squeezing points out of the early portion of the season for them. That's part of what's been very confusing about the flyers for the past year and a half. Now it's Is just what such the heck a, they are and what they're doing. Yeah. It, it's the logical decisions are just not made where it's like, dude, you can get a basic hockey fan in there and they would know what to do. You seem lost and you're supposed to know what you're doing. Uh, so yeah. It, uh, although here's the thing with Vegas. I don't know. I mean, they're off to the good start. They're having a really good start. Uh, we talked about them last week. A surprise surprising me so far where I'm I'm starting to go, ooh, I think I underestimated what they could be this year. I don't see a scenario in where unless he gets hurt, for Vegas's sake, that they can even afford to scratch him as far as depth goes. Uh yeah, so, I, I, I don't uh, think yeah. that he's in danger of not being in their lineup, but I do remember specifically hearing uh when Yandel's contract was up with the Panthers. Some teams were hesitant to sign him because they mm -hmm. were saying, we don't want to be the bad guys and we don't want to be the ones to, you know, healthy scratch him and end the streak. I, and I, I just thought that was an interesting way that that would have impacted his career. I see that's weird to me as well, because I feel like that if that's the decision making you're making as, as a front office, that's then like, like, do you think the guy's going to help you win? It doesn't matter if you're going to have to scratch him at some point. Do you think he's going to help you win? Like, that should be the mindset to me with a front office. So I find it weird that some people might be like, oh, yeah, we want him and we think he's a good player to help us win, but we don't want to be the team that scratches him. 
Like, and that, and the coach should own that as well. If he makes the decision, it's his team. It doesn't, he doesn't, he's not obligated to keep playing the player. Yeah. But at the same time, if this is a guy that before you even sign his contract, you know, you're probably going to have to sit him for on some nights. You can probably say to yourself, well, we can get a player of that caliber without the baggage of the Iron Man street. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I guess it's a dime a dozen, right? If that's if that's how you view that player as the seventh or eighth defenseman on your team, or replacement you know, the, the, level. Yeah, the third, the the thirteenth forward or whatever. You know, so yeah, I guess, I guess if that's if that's the case, uh, yeah, they're a dime a dozen. Then you can get anybody, and you could probably get them for cheaper then as well. Potentially, I would think so, but I don't know. I just thought that was always an interesting thing when it came to Iron Man streaks. Uh, and given how physical everything is in the NHL, I don't know how, if you, because when Keith Yandel said it, everyone immediately just kind of said, well, Phil Kessel's going to break it next year. Oh, yeah. And and again, hilarious that he gets to do it against Toronto. Yeah, uh, where it started. <laughs> yeah, but I just, I don't know uh, that there's, a whole lot of opportunity for that to get broken in the future. You know, yeah. sometimes when we watch records get broken, we wonder if that'll be, you know, something that stands for our lifetime. Uh, especially if Phil gets to a thousand, I think that could be it. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, if he gets to a thousand, I think it'll be a very long time. Uh, I don't even know who's next on the list, but uh, just getting to a thousand would be, I, I I honestly that's the thing that has me really interested in it is I hope he gets to a thousand consecutive games because that is such an impressive feat to be able to do in a sport like like hockey that's just so physical so demanding I know he kind of gets ripped on for not being uh you know quite physical or or defensive minded and stuff like that like like he's never laying out in front of a shot. But he does go to the corner. He does battle in the board. So the fact that you're able to stay healthy that long, like I hope he gets to a thousand games and beyond that, because I, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, and and this is the this is the longest part of the record by a mile. I the the closest someone was before that was Andrew Cogliano, and that he that streak ended in 2018. I want to say that was 830 games around there. So he's he's definitely gone the distance with it. Uh, I can't find anything for active streaks, but hmm. that's all right. That's fine. Uh, yeah, cancer survivor also, Phil Kessel. Yeah. Of, I don't know how many people know that, but he had a testicular cancer, and that's uh, a lot of that's to be owed for his uh, appearance that looks closer to mine appearance than the average nhl player uh, a lot of people would say a lot of his uh hormone supplements and stuff like that really kind of took a toll on his body but somehow is still able to just keep up there with everybody else and to not even just kind of be a passenger on these teams dude is still fast he's still oh, got yeah it. yeah he's still out there he's still playing and He's 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 one of those likable guys, uh, really likable player that that just kind of has created this myth and legend around him. He's become like the Bill Murray of hockey, where it's just like, you know, the Phil Kessel effect that like the stories, are they real? Are they not real? 
did he does he skip out to go eat hot dogs every day which he doesn't but like you know just there's like this fun legend and funness to phil kessel that it's like it's like that's why i think it's that's like this is one of those cool things to have it's like that's a cool guy it's not the most standout-ish record but it's a cool record to hold and if anybody's gonna hold it you know not to take away from keith yandel or anybody else but it's like yeah hell yeah it should be phil phil kessel Let's see Russian players do that, Putin. <laughs> um, so Bill Guerin hates his team. Uh, general manager of the Minnesota Wild uh, <laughs> said the thing you're not supposed to say out loud when he sat down <laughs> with the Athletic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he pretty much uh, he acknowledged everything we've noticed about the Wild so far with their their really slow start. Uh, he said it. He called him out. He he talked about how nobody cares how good anybody was last year with their 113-point franchise record season and uh, pretty much said that, that a lot of these guys got to start playing the game. Um, it's Did you see this on The Athletic, his sit-down, where he just ripped the Minnesota Wild? I, I'll be honest, I completely missed it. <laughs> yeah he sat down with them and and he just pretty much came out and was like it's simple we're just not a pretty team uh he went on to say that we have some skill maybe not as much as some other teams so when we don't play hard heavy physical when our competitive level isn't where it needs to be we struggle and when we are we're good that's how we become good we're not doing that right now i don't see it and i want to start seeing it um yeah he was not happy uh he talked about how they haven't had much success uh how they've even been thinking about tinkering uh with a few different things i know that they're now uh they're switching up the lineups a lot more now that was something that i know they got crushed for in the playoffs uh was not being willing to um adapt uh, but this year i think i think now they're moving on to their third first line center already yeah and that and we'll get to some other things i have to say for the wild here for a little bit but they they're they're stringing a couple you know wins together here and there uh but uh i feel like all too often you could just kind of look it i feel like if you can look at a team's cat friendly page and figure out what the issue is this should have been something that people saw coming and when you go go to look there, you go, oh, Mark Andre Fleury's thirty seven, and he's playing like a thirty seven year old. I wonder what the issue is in Minnesota, right? And that's that's the thing right now with the Wild is that they are. You're right; they're an old team, and when you're relying on Mark Andre Fleury, and right now Mark Andre Fleury is, you said it, he's playing like a thirty seven year old. Now, granted, the fact that we both just said that, watch Mark Andre Fleury put up three consecutive shutouts in a row and look like Naturally. the Vesna winner he was. Naturally. But, but but he's he has played four games this season and he has an 847 save percentage. Yeah, you're not going to sustain. Yeah, it, it's it uh, and it's hard to say because you know, normally you would look at a number like that and say to yourself, well, you know, Mark Andre Fleury didn't forget how to play hockey, he'll bounce back from that. Uh but when he, you 
get up there at age like this, you kind of got to wonder and you got to assume that teams are willing to give him a lot less patience to kind of get his form or get his, you know, mojo going like that. So I wonder how long this goes on for before we are potentially looking at the end of Marc Andre Fleury. Yeah, 18 goals in his first four starts. Uh, that's what Marc Andre Fleury has done. Now he has been better the past two games, uh, helping them snag three points in the standings. Uh, 11 goals against in his first four periods, uh, which that's you know that's pretty alarming. Uh, but I do want to mention that their only win is the team that we're going to talk about next uh, that you want to talk about, John, is the woeful Vancouver Canucks. So that's the only win that they have this season uh, as they're 1-3-1. Yes, so, they, they, they're up on, minute, on Montreal right now, but we'll see how long that lasts. Um, mm. So... Is that my lead-in to go off about? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can totally. If, if it, listen, I think we're done with the wild. I, I just thought it was hysterical. Bill Guerin said the out loud, the the in your head thing out loud. Um, yeah, and, and you've seen, <laughs> and you've seen some team management do stuff like that before. Uh, the Dallas Stars come to mind with their owner specifically calling out Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben sometimes to media, and then getting a big performance from him after i imagine it's more tactical than anything uh but what what you saw here was the canucks and the wilds got together in the battle of winless teams <laughs> and uh and i sat down to watch it because you because you remember you remember beginning of the season i said vancouver looks really good has Bruce Boudreau as a coach, dark horse to win that division. Not necessarily set in stone, but uh, a possibility. There's no and way that, that they're going to do what they did last year and blow it early in the season. Yeah. And, and, and so then I, I, you know, I told you I went to the game here in Columbus, saw them play, and now I have developed a unhealthy obsession with this team. <laughs> that I don't know why I'm so drawn to them or why I'm so fascinated by them right now, but I it, I can't figure it out. Is that I watched them play against the Blue Jackets. Uh, a couple things stood out to me. One, uh, Vasily Podkolzin got absolutely rocked, <laughs> uh, but on a huge huge hit, and then uh, Johnny Goudreau had a really neat wraparound goal where he just kind of took it the center ice, goes behind the net, scoops it in like that. You'd hardly ever see that happen. And so I started, as I was watching highlights for it, I started to think a little bit more about that. Nick, why do we never see wraparound goals? I mean, typically the defense is pretty decent and the goalies are pretty good. And they, you know, it's... Yeah. It, it, I don't know. Nobody, goalie, nobody really goes for it anymore as well, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, and goalies typically know that if you see someone blow by the net, you need to jump on over to the other side there. And I looked at the goal when it happened, and Thatcher Demko's still on the, you know, opposite side post when the puck goes in. So I so I start to watch them a little closer, and I watch the game against the Wild, and I'll be honest, I went to sleep before overtime. But, yeah. they, but they dropped that game. Saturday. 
they have their first home game. Hey, a whole bunch of these road teams have, you know, mm-hmm. it's been a weird way to start the season. You get the Buffalo Sabres. They lose to the Buffalo who in their defense is a pretty hot team right now. They lose to the Sabres five to one. The great Canadian tradition of jerseys being thrown on the ice uh, as of as the team's showing their or the fans rather are showing their frustrations with this team. Yesterday, I sit down, I sat down, I watched part of them playing against Carolina. They didn't look horrible against Carolina, but they still lost. And they had about 16 shots on net for the whole game. Uh, so I'm sure that's part of the problem. And it, it, it's just a fun thing to kind of sit down and dissect. Why is this team performing so badly? Because you had your Arizonas, your Chicago's, your teams like that that were expected to be bad this year, that were expected to tank. Vancouver was nowhere near that list. And yet, I have a lot of signs pointing to Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah. And you know how I feel about Bruce. I feel the same way about Bruce. For for, for listeners that aren't familiar, uh, Bruce Brudro was nice to me once for about 60 seconds. And frankly, I have a very low bar for undying loyalty. Uh, but to to summarize Bruce Brudro's career up to this point, uh, he starts coaching in the IHL. He takes the Fort Wayne Comets to the finals. Uh, he wins in the ECHL with the Mississippi Seawolves, wins a championship. With the Hershey Bears He in the AHL, he wins the championship in that league. His first 12 seasons in the coaching in the NHL, he made the playoffs 10 times. One of those times that he missed, he had just taken over Anaheim. He won a Jack Adams Award coaching for the Capitals. And someone's really going to look at me and tell me this isn't, this guy's not good enough for your team. I listen, you know, I'm a fan of his, you know, I love him as well. I had a great experience with him when he was, um, hanging out here in, uh, in, in down in Norfolk, Virginia, when the ducks were minor league affiliates and he was with the ducks organization and he was out there in, uh, Norfolk when they were the admirals. Uh, minor league team had great experience with him there. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a good coach, but yeah, all signs at this point. Uh, I also know that Bruce Boudreau is sitting on only a one-year deal. It's an option. He's not signed through the end of this season. And, and something telling me to even get that. Yeah. Cause it was, he wanted to renegotiate and Vancouver went, no, you have an option, either accept it or go take a job somewhere else. And he was looking other places and then went, no, I'll, I'll take the option and stay. So it doesn't even seem like there's faith or a want to keep him around. And yeah, this start is, I'm blown away that Bruce Boudreaux's team has started this way. Uh, again, I was like you, I was, I was up on this team. I thought there was no way they were going to have an October like they did last year. They just would be better because they ended the season so well with Bruce in taking over. But here we are, and I have this weird feeling that Bruce Boudreau might be the first coach that is, if he's not actively uh, on the hot seat, he's on the hot seat, and he's the first coach that we could see go. Because also... Uh, and I and I'll and I'll give credit here. I I I, I know uh, 
uh, uh, Down Goes Brown has said this and brought this up with the idea of that the Vancouver Canucks waited so long to fire their coach last year before bringing in Bruce, which saw a turnaround. And there's kind of that, there was that lingering thought of if they did it just a couple weeks earlier, could they have squeezed their way into the playoffs? Is the front office thinking that way right now of, well, the minute we, we think the coach is the issue, we got to make the move. We can't wait it out and give him time, like make the move. So And, and, it, and Vancouver didn't miss the playoffs by a whole lot last year. Yeah. That week or two could have made all the difference for them. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, are, did they learn from that to where they're like, oh, you know what? We're a month into this season and things are not where we want it to be. Bruce, you're out. And a lot of the time you'll see a new general manager comes into a place and, uh, you know, one of the cards he gets to play at some point is changing coaches. Because mm-hmm. if you come in as a general manager and things aren't going all that well, you get to say, well, you know, part of this is I didn't hire this guy. I didn't want this bum. Let me, you know, bring in my guy to be the coach here and see the results that you have here. You don't typically see a general manager do that in the first year of their tenure. It's typically something that, you know, you want to hang on to that card as long as you can to play it and save your own job. So it would be wild to see them, uh, to see them play that card so quickly. But at the same time, Bruce Boudreaux is not inspiring a lot of confidence either. No, he's not. After after their 6-4 loss to uh, the Capitals, he came out and they called in, uh, speaking to the media, he said, mentally weak would be a good assessment. Because that's the other big part of this Canucks team, is they play with leads and they just keep blowing them. It's like they don't know what to do with it once they have it, and everyone gets so tensed up, and they don't want to be the one to make a mistake and cost them the game. But you know, scared hockey is losing hockey. Mm-hmm. And, and the and as I watch the Canucks Wild game, every time the Wild scored, the camera just cut to Bruce, and he hadn't shaved that day. Yeah. And ju- and just seeing him with that five o'clock shadow made it seem like you know day two or three of being unemployed, and and it it just looked like he he had this look on his face. Just I know what's coming. Just 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 go ahead and get yeah. it over with. Just now, granted, his- to come to your office on Monday. Yeah, granted, his wife apparently gave him a very hard time about that. Uh, but then uh, they. Then the clean-shaven Bruce Brujo takes them to their home opener. They lose 5-1 to one to the Sabres, and he told the team that they need to look in the mirror. Uh, when you hear all these sayings about, you know, well, this was about effort, and this is about, you know, the players buying in and caring, that sounds like a coach to me that is just out of ideas, that's out of options, that doesn't know what to do with this. Yeah, uh, he he directly said to this says, I'm not doing my job properly now, and that's why we're losing. Bruce, I want to help you. You're not giving me a lot to work with here. <laughs> no, and it's uh, I'm looking at their. I'm looking at their roster right now and and just. Uh, oh, my God, they're they're so. The JT Miller extension is just not going to look good next year JT. because uh, they need to they need to find money for Bo Har, uh, Horvat 
he's and Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. Yeah, Patterson. Patterson at least is locked up next year and is a restricted free agent. But at the seven seven million plus is what he's getting right now and what he'll be getting next year. You know, we we talked about it. The cap will go up, but he's going to at least be looking for ten million at that point. Um, they are in such a bad situation. And but but again, but looking at this roster, like they should they should have a win. And, and, How do they not have a win? And and having just you know, uh, grilled Mark Andre Fleury. It's worth mentioning uh, Thatcher Demko, who is a great goalie, has been the you know heir apparent to being a real one of the next really good goalies in the NHL for a long time now. Uh, in six games, he has an eight seventy two save percentage. I mean, that which is... is something you can kind of look at and go, ah, ha, I yeah. think I see what the issue is. Yeah. Uh, and, but... and he's locked in till, uh, he's locked in all the way till 2025. And he's making and... $5 million a year against the cap. Which, which to me was the right move to make and yeah. could prove to still be the right move to have made. You know, if they'll get rid of Boudreaux a lot easier than they'll get rid of him. But oh, yeah. one thing that really stood out to me uh, is just the, some of the comments and some of the things about JT Miller going through this week. Can I share some of that with you? Because I went oh, and put please. this together as well. Uh, at one point, shoot, I didn't write down which game this. No, this was after they lost in Minnesota in the battle of windless teams. JT Miller, quote, I'm trying to be patient, but I'm not going to change the way I'm playing away from the puck and in my own end, because I don't think I've given up much of anything there. Hmm. So a couple things, JT. Uh, number one, if the team is struggling and your reaction to that is, well, I'm not going to change what I'm doing. I wouldn't really expect that out of the big veteran leadership guy on the team, would you? No, I would not. Yeah. Uh, another little fun JT Miller stat. Uh, I'm going to take you back in time a little bit through the season. We're going to go back to October the 16th. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks at this point had allowed eight goals throughout all their games played there. How many of those eight goals do you think JT Miller was on the ice for? I'd say six. All of them. Oh, okay. Now, if I told you a team had allowed eight goals in the number of games that they played, how many games do you think that is? Mm, at least 12. They played two. Eight goals, two games. JT Miller's on the ice for all of them. What's the common denominator after a certain point? It's JT Miller. And you look at some of the other team's stats, uh, you know, their their power play is playing below average. Uh, they're running at about 16% when most teams in the league, you know, on average between 20 25 is something that looks decent. Uh, now, granted, it's early, still early in the season. We still have three teams that have a 100% penalty kill rate. Uh, Vancouver's is 57% penalty kill. Now, let me take a quick look at this uh, lineup here. Who has been playing on both of those units a lot? Oh, yeah, it's JT Miller. 
So I hate to go after a former New York Ranger. I know that wounds you to your very core, but yeah. it just, as I'm looking through part of that, I'm going, you know, this could be a big part of the problem too. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not clicking this year for him. It, I, I, we, when we heard that contract extension, a lot of, uh, you know, it was met with the skeptic skepticism. It was met with that. This could work or this is going to blow up. And this is going to be the first real big move that, um, Oh man, it's his name's escaping me. And I just saw it. Their general manager, uh, would have to deal with, um, Patrick Alvin. Um, and it already seems like it's blowing up and it hasn't even hit the $8 million extension yet and you can't move that it's going to be impossible to move that at this point so well, you could it's, because, I mean, but everybody's pretty much up against the cap right now everybody's really uh, cutting you know it i know vancouver has no cap space uh, but Toronto's you know who's going to need players next year arizona uh yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, the ones the, the ones that have the cap space currently, the Ducks, Coyotes, and Sabers. But I'm pretty sure he has a no move clause as well. I don't think he does. Well, that would be the double... smartest thing. Let me double check on that. No, he does not have a no move clause. So. No, he does. He he doesn't have one right now. He it does when the year. when the new extension kicks in. Oh boy! Oh, oh man! Yeah. So you might want to that's try a and... parachute for yourself if there ever was such a thing. That's what I'm saying. That's if he's if he's having the season he's having. I don't know. They're 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 just such a mess right now, and it it is mind boggling to me. Yeah, and and you hate to lose a roster player for nothing, but at a at a certain point, you might start looking at that contract, which wasn't a Jim Benning deal. Patrick Alvin signed that too. Yeah, yeah, that was, um, so, that was that's, so that's his. Falls, that's his. He's got to own. Yeah, that falls on his shoulders, but which man, probably was, means he's not going to trade him because he's not going to admit a failure that fast. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. You have to admit that you've really screwed the pooch if you're yeah. trading somebody that early on before the contract even starts. Yeah, uh, yeah. But what yeah. hasn't been an issue in Vancouver has been uh, Vasily Pod Colson who is a rookie and is playing decently well despite not having the greatest team built around him. And I wanted to ask you about some of this because there's two looking at rookies coming into the year. There's two that have really stood out to me so far this year, Marco Rossi in Minnesota and Shane Wright in Seattle. And we remember Shane Wright being drafted, who was supposed to go first overall, ended up dropping to fourth and just kind of stared daggers at Montreal and everyone else that passed on him there, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a team like a player like this is coming into your organization, you know, you don't want to give them ice time. They have to earn it, but you have to think about their development at a certain point, too. 
to where if you get to the point where you just decide this player just isn't going to play that much, it makes a lot more sense to send them to the minors or something like that so that they get a chance to actually play that, you know, those extra miles there helps them develop as a player. First, before we get into my confusion about ice times, some context. Alexi Lafreniere, his first year in the league, averaged 13 minutes, 53 seconds of ice time. For a second, third line guy, that's pretty fair. Uh, to keep things a little more compared to modern rookies, Owen Power is averaging 22 minutes of ice time. Granted, he's a defenseman. They play a lot more in general. But for a rookie, that's a pretty big trust. Marco Rossi, four games played, averaging nine minutes, 49 seconds of ice time. Fourth line minutes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Why you got him there if you're just going to put him on the fourth line? I mean... It doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't. I'm I'm not a fan of that either. I, I, I mean, I guess if you want to make the argument, the idea is, is that you have him there, he gets a little bit of the experience, he sees the day in and day out of the NHL game, yada, 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 all that stuff. Get the miles now, the reps in now at this level. And then you can send him down and he's got an idea of what it is at, at the NHL level while he continues to grow at the AHL level. But typically I'm with you in the sense of, you know, like Lafreniere was playing third line. There are Ranger fans out there that are like, how dare they not put him on the first line right away? I had no issue with guys like Kako and Lafreniere doing that. It's the way the Rangers were built were not the way that Jack Hughes was going into the Devils, where you knew he was going to be the first line center because the Devils didn't have anything. Like the the Rangers had a top six already built. The rookies were there to be the third line. And I have no issue with rookies playing third line minutes. Where my issue comes and uh years ago I, I back when we did our first, uh, this the first time around, the Nino Niederreiter with the Islanders, where they That's had him exactly as a fourth liner. who I was going to bring up. <laughs> yeah, where they had him as a fourth liner. And I felt that what they did was they stunted his growth to where they then sold him for, oh God, that sounds horrible, where they traded him yeah. off for, for much less than what his value truly is now. Sent him to but, Minnesota for Cal Clutterbuck, if I mm -hmm. remember correctly. And there are yeah, going to be is, fans is... out there that are going to say that the Cal Clutterbuck trade is a better trade. Uh, yeah, sure. Convince I, I, yourself I that giving to... up Nino Nita Rider for Cal Clutterbuck was a good trade. I don't, I don't mean to totally derail what you're going through, but what, what kind of sad state of affairs is it for me to be able to recall who got traded for what immediately for a trade from 10 years ago? That I mean, did not, that did not involve my favorite team. Well, because I, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about it and I'm pretty sure that it's kind of like the situation right now where I was like, you should have just sent him to the AHL. You should have just sent him down and let him get the first line minutes play the 20 minutes a night, play the power play time, get the reps in at that level against some former NHLers, some guys that have been there, some guys that are on the cusp of getting there already, uh, guys that are going up and down. There's something, there's something to the idea for me 
And again, maybe it's a baseball thing as well, being a baseball fan. Like, you don't just call up your 19-year-old or your 20-year-old unless you're a team that's going to give them those, those, those top nine minutes. If they're not getting top nine minutes, there's no need for them to be there. They Absolutely. shouldn't play and, in top and, minutes in the AHL. And even on a third line, you can put them on the power play. You can put yeah. them on the penalty kill. There's a lot a of little shorthanded time, like a little that. three on three, you know, shootout, whatever. You can get him. You can get them involved in certain ways. Yeah, and, and the and the thing to keep in mind for both of these guys is that entry level contracts have a rule where if you if a team does not play them a certain number of games. Uh, the first year of their entry level deal slides to the next year, so to speak. I want to, I want to say it's ten games. I could be wrong on that, uh, but you can kind of keep track of certain players. You know, if they're getting a game eight or nine, you really need to make a decision on them before you know you're burning a year of their entry level contract mm -hmm. or you're sending them elsewhere for it. And what complicates this a little bit as well is the CHL transfer rule, where if a player is 19 years old and isn't going to be playing on an NHL roster, they can't go to the American Hockey League. They have to go back to junior, which can be a little bit of a tough decision to make because for Shane Wright, you don't want to send him back to junior. He has nothing left to prove there. But at the same time, keeping him in the NHL isn't is just going to hurt his confidence, and you yeah. don't want him to just get caved in for minimal minutes each night, while you get a chance to kind of show your fans what the future might look like. And if the future is not looking good there, it's not going to do you favors there either. Yeah, it's those are the tougher ones. The decisions to make is the ones where they can go back to juniors, but. I would still argue that sending him back to juniors where, yeah, he's going to run the gamut on them and all of that. I would still argue that that is better than the nine minutes a night. Absolutely. Nine points during the season. You know, a, a guy that a kid that's accustomed to lighting it up, being a first line player that's now got to adjust to being a checker, and then also at the same time being benched late in the game if you're trying to win the game. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be the go-to guy. Yeah, if he it, goes back to juniors, you know, late in the season, you might be able to get him back for that. Act. It, and I, f I forget who it was that I heard say it, but someone once made a point of saying uh, no player has ever been hurt by spending an extra year in junior or no, no. player's development has ever been harmed spending an extra year in the minors. And it, for to avoid a Nino Niederreiter situation where you're calling him up, you're sending him down, he's going back and forth, his confidence is all over the place. I, I feel like it's you've really got to slow walk stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. With with some uh, of these and, rookies, you really do. And and part of me suspects that uh, Seattle is you know doing their best to make themselves relevant in a new market. Wants to have Shane Wright in the lineup. So that they can, you know, if you're not selling wins, you're selling hope. You want to put all the hope on display that you can. Mm -hmm. So I could envision a scenario where Ron Francis says, I can't send this guy down. And Dave Haxall says, well, just because you're keeping him on the roster doesn't mean I have to play him a bunch. But I'm speculating. Yeah, 
Well, that's what we do here. We speculate. Yeah. Yeah. For Marco Rossi, on the other hand, doesn't make any sense. If he's going to be on your fourth line, send him to the AHL. Yeah. He's not going yeah. anywhere. You can call him right back. It's fine. <laughs> um. All right. So want to get into uh, the last bit of news of the week right now? Yes. On that note, let's talk oh, about something yeah. that makes us happy. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun. I'm I'm excited to get your take on this. Uh the NHL uh finally revealed the reverse retro jerseys for this season. Uh instead of running through all the teams and taking another hour uh, to do that, uh I want to know, John, what are some of yours? What are the ones that stood out for you? Like do you have do you uh, have a top 3? I definitely Should we start with our teams? Because I feel like we both of us want to talk okay. about our teams. We might as well yeah, let's, let's talk about me, our teams. Tell me about the Rangers here. Sleeves looked a little different from what I typically see, uh, but they also the went back to the... blue's a little different as well. It's a little Yeah, lighter. but they went to the Statue of Liberty head again. Yeah. I, I the, Listen, the Statue of Liberty is... I like that as uh, the third logo. Uh, I always have been a fan of that. Uh, so... This is fine. It's a slight whip up of the one that they did, you know, last year as well. Um, it's fine. It's good. I, I've I've got the original one from from the '90s, so I'm I'm not buying this. But uh, you know, there are going to be a lot of fans that buy it. It's going to look good on the ice. Uh, I think they're wearing it tonight. Actually, I think tonight's their first night. I can't remember. I want to say it's the game against Colorado, which uh, would be this evening. Uh, actually, starting right now, if my ESPN account would work. Uh, yeah, the Rangers won. Yeah, all right. I, you know, I give it a thumbs up. Uh, what about you, though? What, what about that Detroit one? Because I, I kind of dig it. Detroit's Balsh is a story of missed opportunity and missed out potential for me. Uh, number. Number of issues for me. Number one looks very similar to Chicago's. Don't like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I saw somebody tweet out the, um, can I borrow your homework? Sure, just make sure you change it slightly so the teacher doesn't know yeah. we copied <laughs> and put the jerseys next to each other. And I laughed really yeah, hard and, at that. <laughs> and, and, and the last set of reverse retros they did Detroit very much had a we're not participating in this type of energy. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a white jersey and that probably got rejected by the uh, by Adidas. So they put a silver armband on it and called it a day. Went to lunch early. Uh, what Red Wings fans have talked about a lot is liking the old barber pole jerseys where they had those uh, whole bunch of stripes on it for ridiculous reasons if you look back at some of the older jerseys like that they're first off anyone that wants to waste a significant portion of their day nhluniforms.com you can look at all sorts of different jerseys throughout the eras uh and if you look at the a lot of the older ones there was something that we, that kind of came around uh in the 30s and 40s that changed nhl jerseys a lot and that was color television. So a lot of these older jerseys have these big stripes through them or just these really, you know, you needed a way to differentiate the other players from the other team on a black and white TV. 
So you see these barber pole jerseys. A lot of Red Wings fans really like the ones in the 90s, but they said, flip the colors. Give us a red jersey with white stripes. It's going to look beautiful. And they were so close. So close on the Red Wings, but they went with the black stripes instead. Still looks good. Just it's hard to not, it's hard to look at that and not think of what could have been. You're muted, Nick. All right. Thank you. Um, so now that we got our teams out of the way, uh, what, are you, what, what are your top three? Uh, do you want to go first or I, I can yeah, go? Let, or... Yeah, let's, let's, do, let's do a little bit of back and forth. Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, I will, I will fully comp to saying that I anything that brought back a bunch of 90s nostalgia probably really did it for me. Yeah. And that's not going to be the same as everybody, and that's fine. Uh, it was really interesting hearing uh, an interview with the guy that was in charge of all of these at Adidas talking about different teams' priorities. Some people are trying to appeal to younger audiences. Some people want to really appease season ticket holders. And it's, it was interesting to hear different priorities for different teams. And one team that really nailed it, Anaheim. Got yes. The, the old uh, Mighty Ducks logo got so, a little bit of orange in on the stripes of white jersey. I have no notes. This is an S-tier jersey, in my opinion. This yeah. is brings back all the warm and fuzzy feelings that you had for the for the team when they first came into the league. Uh, it should be their primary jerseys, in my humble opinion. Yeah, same. This is uh, the, the Ducks absolutely knocked it out of the park. Uh, really, I even love the whole like we have a mighty past. Uh, just leaning into that aspect of it. Uh, I love that jersey. Uh, and kind of sticking with that uh, to move on from the Ducks because they were on my list. Uh, I got to go with the Sabres as well. I got to go with the Buffalo Sabres, bringing back the Buffalo head. Yeah, uh, I get, like that Sabre head. Like, like I love that. You didn't like this one as much. No, I love the, uh, I love the Buffalo head. As a logo, and especially, you know, speaking of Dominic Hoshik, uh, but this was so much better in black and red back then. Like, now with the newer uh, blue and yellow colors, like, it looks okay, but I just, I don't know. I'm not as crazy about it. See, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, I like it. I like the white design of it. I don't know. I'm a big, uh... I like this one. I really did. I, I dug it. It, it. it brought me back. It just brought me back to the Hashik days. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one other one I that really stood out to me, uh, the Florida Panthers. Yes. I look like looking at this, I said, I should not like this as much as I do. Like if I was describing this, if I told you, Nick, I had a dream about this jersey for the Florida Panthers, and I described this to you, it's going to be baby blue, but it's going to have the red and the dark blue and the yellow. It's going to have the shoulder patch as the logo, but the but they're going to take it and they're going to make it the primary part of it. You would have looked at me and said, you're an idiot. And yet, and yet, something about the way they put all of this together, it, just, it works great. I can't yeah. hate it. I, I can't hate it as well. I really dig that. I dig that jersey. I like that jersey a lot. Um, 
Yeah, I like the Florida Panthers one. I'm excited to see that one on the ice as well, uh, to see how that looks when they when they play in them. Uh, another one I'm really digging. Uh, I gotta say it. I I really like the Coyotes one. I didn't think I was going to like it, but there's something about that orange with that logo that works for me. Yeah, burnt orange sure is a choice, but uh, yeah, it doesn't look horrible. Yeah, yeah, that that one I like that. That one, and and I am a fan of the, um, I I can't believe I like the Sharks one, but I do like the Sharks one because I feel like that was kind of, uh, I feel like they stole the Seattle thing. (laughs) <laughs> with the seals <laughs> yeah, dude you want to know you want to know a good story about the california golden seals yeah please yeah so this was the first team that was supposed to be out in the bay area and they really tried to differentiate themselves by having different uniform yep. get-ups and part of that was having white skates uh now if you're playing a game that involves a black puck and it's going to rub up against a bunch of white leather. What's going to happen to those skates? Uh, they're going to get skiffed. Yeah. So rather than leaving it like that, they would paint the skates between games and oh, it would happen cool. over and over and over throughout the season to keep that white skate look. So by the end of the year, you have 40 layers of white paint on your skates and they're significantly heavier than when you started the year. That's but ridiculous. That's hysterical. That's my fun thing. That's uh, funny. One other thing that I want to just touch on, Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg. Classic logo, little yeah. bit of a modern look. Oh, uh, yeah. With the stripes on it. All comes together really well. I have no notes. S tier. Yeah, uh, I do want to say I think the laziest one, and I'm gonna get crushed for it. But there are uh, a few that I thought were pretty lazy this year. I thought the Canes one, like it, it already looks like their third jersey. Yeah, it's, so for for one reason or another, the Canes just never have a decent looking jersey. Yeah. Uh, um, the Devils one kind of as well. I was like, I get it. You're going for like the the 90s look of that yeah you know, it's the but, it's mm. a kansas city scouts uh colors yeah it's and, and i just who is this for <laughs> exactly that's kind of my thing like like i'll even like i will put the islanders mid-tier for having the balls to bring back the fishermen but it looks better than it did the first time dude for like, one reason or another islanders fans love those fishermen jerseys yeah, I will never understand why, um, because trust me, it still it still is absolutely ridiculous, and it looks dumb, and it looks like I should go buy a thing of fish sticks. But this one works better than the last one. I don't know how they pulled it off, but uh, probably because it doesn't have the the super weird like '90s teal overpowering it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it works a little better. But the Flyers were kind of lazy as well. I, 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 I know. Like honestly, Ottawa, Pittsburgh, the Flyers, the Devils, and okay. the Canes are like the laziest to me. The Capitals are kind of cool because of the old bring back of the Eagle. Okay, dude. Yes, the Peter Bond. I that's what I know him as is the Peter Bondra. Captain. Yes, yes. Uh, the only the goalie days. Yes. Other, I was 
very excited to see that come back. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, kind of lazy, Calgary Flames. Yeah. Everyone loves everyone loves Smokey the Horse, those thirds that they had with the horse coming directly at you on it. They elected not to go with that. And then they have this weird diagonal stripe on it that almost looks like a cheerleading skirt. I I don't understand what they were going for with it. Yeah, it, it just looks like, well, it just looks like one of those things where they um, simply change the bottom portion of their third jersey already, like putting yeah. that little weird skirt on it. They were like, what if we, instead of having it connect at the bottom, what if we like shift part of it up? And somebody was like, brilliant, send it in. We got our, we got our retro. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, yeah that, so, so that's us not talking about every single jersey. Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't talk about <laughs> every one of them. We we really didn't. We left out certain, left out a few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, hey, you know, but you can check them out if you haven't seen them yet. They're, they're all over the, they're available for purchase as well. So, uh, go ahead. Uh, I, I am not. Are you? No. I think honestly, I think if I was to get any one, it probably would be. Uh, I I would not get get the Rangers one, but I would get the Ducks. I would absolutely get the Anaheim Ducks one. I I would be torn between that and the Robo Penguin returning for the Pittsburgh Penguins. That looks clean. Yeah, but like That's I said, any nineties. You know, nostalgia that taps in, I'm already going to be bought in. Yeah, same, same. Hey, that's why, even why I kind of dig the lightning one. Um, for the same you know, reason, the 90s feel. Props to them for going for that. Yeah, and props to the Maple Leafs for bringing back the pot leaf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, On that note, that's where we'll end it. <laughs> <laughs> no, what were you going to say? What were you going to say? And then we'll wrap it. Uh, the, the, they joke that they looked exactly like their jerseys do now. I think the joke was, uh, Adidas revealed 31 new reverse retro jerseys and whatever Toronto's doing. <laughs> yeah. So, some of them are good. We, 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 I think we highlighted the really good ones. Uh, and then some of them are there. So, uh, hopefully your team was mentioned. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, we'd like your team's retro jersey. I think that's it? fair. I think yeah. that's fair. All right. John, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Any follows? Anything like that? Anything going on in the world? Uh, if you're angry about anything I've said about your jerseys or anything else for that matter, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at JT Evans and the number is zero. All right. And you can find me as well on Twitter, wonderful underscore radio. Until next week, everybody. Thanks for listening.
sweet as apple pie She'll get her own bed by and by When she gets a lot of her own I want to announce she goes home Not the mold, her must say will Albert Mooney, she loves still She is handsome, she is pretty She is the bear of Dublin City She is current in the one, two, three Please don't tell me who is she? 